Hi, I'm Amelia Bordeaux. Welcome to the podcast, Clarity. This is a podcast for Diamond Standard that we discuss market themes that impact our diamond commodity and also the wider precious metals market. I am so happy to be joined today by Avi Krobitz. He's an independent diamond analyst and independent uh, influencer in the diamond market. Avi, welcome. Hi, Amelia. Thank you for thank you for having me. It's great to be on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to finally kind of meet you uh, virtually, I guess. I've read a lot of your work and uh, follow you on Twitter. And so um, I'm excited to speak with you today because there's so many things going on in the diamond market right now that the headlines and the news just seem to keep coming. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to, to keep up um, at this time of the year. So you, you, we have lulls and, um, and then suddenly things pick up and, and certainly a lot happening in the diamond market at the moment. Yeah, I was hoping you could kind of give, we have people who listen to this podcast familiar with the diamond market and people unfamiliar with the diamond market and just kind of wider financial markets. But um, obviously our investors and I think, you know, the wider market is concerned about the price decline in natural diamond prices. But can we take a step back and just put that into context, meaning talk briefly about what happened you know, in, in 2020 to 2022 and that very strong run up. And can we put this decline currently into context? Is it back to pre-pandemic levels, just a reversion, or do you think it might be something more? Yeah, it's important to put into context what's what's happening because the the recover the the, market, the diamond industry had a, a tremendous recovery from the from the pandemic. 2021 and 20 and and 2022 matched 2021 were record years for the industry it was almost unprecedented and there was this sort of narrative that we had set a new bar of of demand of higher demand and and the question was whether it would be sustained and we now have the answer that it wasn't sustained. It was a bit of an anomaly, and it was very much influenced by a, a release of pent-up demand that was um, contained during the during COVID, during the the pandemic. Um, the, the you know the pandemic really sort of worked in favour of of diamonds. Um, in terms of people were saving and um, they weren't spending on experiences, and there was also that sort of emotional emotional release that people wanted to 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 gift a, a a meaningful gift to others and also sort of treat themselves to to a to a um, value purchase and so as we came out of covid there was this um, rush to spending and people had also saved a lot of money and so they had the money to spend and so and so the industry did very well and so um, could, the question was, could that be sustained um, as we move further away from, from the pan- pandemic and, and, and people's spending habits sort of normalize? Yeah. And, and so we, we, would, we would have expected a, um, a sort of a normalization of spending now in 2023 but coupled with that has been the weakness in the economy the competition from from lab grown which is having a bit of a moment and um and various other factors and so that has all and so that has all contributed to the decline in the market and and it and it has been a very tough year for the industry as you mentioned people are concerned about the decline in rough in in diamond prices and uh, and they should be it, it has been a week it, it, it's a weak market yeah i just wanted to point out i mean just for wider economic purposes that it's not the only industry kind of struggling to go back to you know normalizing spending that had been strong throughout the pandemic, uh, because, you know, consumers did shift their spending uh, away from goods to services as obviously economies opened up around the world and they were allowed to kind of travel and go uh, once again. But um, I'll talk about lab grown separately because it's just an entire... It's a minefield. (laughs) It is. It's an exciting topic, controversial topic, but um, we'll save that a little bit later. Sure. uh, is the inventory play? I mean, how is the diamond market, natural diamond market, placed into the holiday season? Because there's been inventory. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's been inventory 
accumulation at the manufacturing stage. And I know the jewelry industry in, in India has, you know, kind of asked for a voluntary ban for two months from rough diamonds into India. And just for our, our listeners' context, India is the largest cutter and polisher of diamonds in the world, that center. So do you think that that will help or is that just a sign of, does this happen very, like not very often, but is this common or has this happened before where India has asked for like a two month ban? Yeah, it has precedent. In 2008, the the um, Indian industry and the Indian industry sort of halted or stopped their their rough their imports of rough diamonds, and and as you said, as you mentioned, the the Indian um, India the Indian trade accounts for eighty or ninety percent even of all polished production. That means taking rough and processing it to polished. And so it's a massive market and and, and it has a, a profound impact on the globe on the tone of the global industry. And so in 2008 when the financial with the financial downturn, the Indian market stopped buying rough diamonds that enabled them to reduce their polished inventory because they weren't adding to their polished inventory and it was very effective. The, the Indian industry itself gained, gained a lot of market share because they could do what others couldn't on a collective scale. And it helped the recovery of the midstream of the, of the wholesale market um, for diamonds at the time. And so I would expect that it would have the same effect this time around. They, mm-hmm. As of um, between October 15th and December 15th, they've put a moratorium on rough imports to to India. And obviously, it's not a law. You know, if companies want to buy, they can. But the, it's it's a voluntary uh, freezing of rough imports. And the idea is to reduce those polished inventory levels, which are very high. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, when we talk about diamond prices declining, we're referring to wholesale diamond prices. And that's mm-hmm. influenced by an excess of supply in the midstream in that wholesale market. And so that's manufacturers essentially are holding a lot of polished inventory that, they, um, that they're unable to move. Um, you know, be it because retailers aren't buying the same level of inventory that they they might have needed before. Either way, the midstream is holding a lot of inventory and they need to reduce that. And so by not adding to it again, by buying rough and having to manufacture that rough, they'll be able to hopefully be able to do that. Yes. And coming around to rough diamond prices, I think the Jewelry Council of India also asked diamond miners to maybe curtail uh, maybe selling the diamonds, the rough diamonds. I know Al Rosa had said that they will stop, you know, selling diamond, rough diamonds for a couple months. And then De Beers, it's, it's tough. I don't speak directly to any side holders, but, um, you know, it's been reported widely in the diamond market that they have delayed allowed site holders to delay some of their purchases into into next year, I think, for two carats and up. So there, for, for context, De Beers and Elrosa, for our listeners, are the largest um, two uh, miners in the world of natural diamonds. So combine this effort of kind of the, the voluntary import ban and the voluntary maybe stop selling or curtail the selling of raw from the two largest miners should help by the end of the year or yeah, I mean, it's essentially the same thing because, and, and that's really the power of the Indian manufacturing industry, because if they're not buying, then De Beers isn't selling. And, no. you know, um, because many of, you know, many of the big site holders, many of the big De Beers um, customers are, are in that Indian market, are, are India-based. And so subsequent to, or consequently, of as a consequence of um, India putting out that announcement and and putting in that uh, that that um, that that uh, stopping rough imports, De Beers has, as far as I understand, De Beers has basically said to to its customers that they don't have to buy at all, or, or they can buy what they want 
in in the next few sites. And and to put again to to understand the dynamic, um, De Beers sells to site holders on a contractual basis, and that means that in 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 normal times, a site holder is contracted to buy a certain amount of their allocation at each. Um, rough sale of De Beers a site, and, uh, and and you know there is some wiggle room that they can uh, a site holder can reject maybe ten percent or, or or up to twenty percent when De Beers is feeling feeling generous of a particular site. But this time, because of the the state of the market, and and I, I would think you know behind behind the scenes it's a pressure from those manufacturers in India that De Beers is allowing is is wavering that contractual ob- obligation to take that allocation they're saying to site holders you can you can uh, leave on the table whatever you want it, whether it's the full allocation or whatever percentage so it's a yeah. sign of the times essentially it's a it's a it's a it's a clear single signal that a drastic move is is required to re to rebalance the market to bring to bring supply down to the levels of uh, at which demand is is uh, playing at at the moment. So, U.S. consumers, or the, or the United States is the largest, I believe, uh, consumer of natural diamonds or natural diamond jewelry globally, and then China is is second. So, China has had a, a slowdown, and I think it's been disappointing, probably for not only the diamond industry, but other industries as well, um, that they didn't emerge earlier this year in 2023 from that, you know, they didn't really get that lift, that pre-pandemic open, or it was it was very short. Um, and I know people in diamond industry had been counting on that as kind of a tailwind um, for diamond prices this year that didn't pan out so far, at least. And um, but the U.S. consumer remains remains strong. I mean, here in the United States, um, unfortunately, they've been under pressure from very high prices for consumer staples now for a few years. And I think that, you know, it's obviously starting to bite. Food prices are high. Gasoline prices are still high. But, you know, they have jobs widely and wages are solid. How do you you know, I, they seem to be U.S. consumers seem to be solidly placed into the end of the year. We're already in Q4 into the holiday period. But how is the diamond industry maybe anticipating holiday sales or um, do you have any context of that or any color? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the U.S. market is, is, is crucial for the, for the diamond industry. It, as you said, it, it accounts for over 50% of global diamond jewelry sales. So um, America matters, make no mistake. And and I agree, <coughs> excuse me. And I agree with you. The the um, the consumer is strong. It's a consumer market. It's uh, it's driven by that. But um, but I think priorities have changed in in the last year. And and with the um, you know the the cost of living has increased um, dramatically since you know in the last two two years and so I think and so we have seen that shift from um, from discretionary spending to 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 necessity and and so you know those luxury purchases are not um, are not priority for for the consumer at the moment but you know we are entering a uh, the holiday season and. Uh, you know, it's 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 guesswork. I I I, um, I, I think the the industry is not expecting a um, a repeat of the last two years. You know, the the industry is down on a retail level. You know, we see the big big commercials commercial quality sort of retailers like Signet um, is the is the prime example. Yeah, um, which owns K and Jared and and um, and uh, and Zales. Um, big brands like that, they, their numbers are down. You know, in the, their numbers are down from last year, and that's um, and that, and that tells us a, a story. And they they're expecting um, a similar similar decline in 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 the fourth quarter of you know, I would say sort of mid to 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 high single digit percentages um, compared to last year. But again, we we are we are comparing to a, a good year last year. Yeah. But it's a matter of sentiment. And um, and uh, it's a matter of sentiment that you know we take each year as it as it comes, and uh, and so and so we, we're not expecting. I don't think the industry is expecting a a boom holiday season. You know, keep your keep your 
your hopes high and your expectations low, I think is is the mantra yeah. at the moment. Well, they're facing really, as you mentioned, they're facing very tough comparisons with a, a base effect from the, you know, the previous year, which was quite strong. Yeah. You mentioned Signet. So I know just by watching their kind of earnings releases and maybe their CEO speak on uh, CNBC that um, much has been made about their engagement or marriage forecast for 2024, which is, um, you know, very important, but it, it's it's kind of interesting how they, maybe how they model this. It is an economic variable. But anyway, they have said in their, their earnings releases that they do expect engagements to pick up um, in 2024 because there was kind of the, the pandemic disrupted the, the dating um, cycle <laughs> for the last couple of years. <laughs> and so maybe you can help us out. Can you t- give us a context of how important like the U.S. bridal market is for diamond, natural diamonds in, in general? I you know, and engagement rings maybe are like a bellwether for diamond prices. Is that true? Well, I, I, w- I wouldn't link it to diamond prices. I mean, it's a, it's a stimulant of demand, but okay. but the, the engagement ring market is, is and bridal in general is um, is is highly important. And and you know, it's a it's a it's a big category for the for the industry, both in terms of its financial. You know, in terms of the revenue that it generates, but it's also it's the idea of the diamond um, that is born in that engagement ring. Um, you know, it's it's often, you know, it's it's a uh, it's often a couple's first introduction to a diamond purchase, and the idea that one gives a diamond ring as an engagement gift is, uh, you know, it's just part. It's just so entrenched in the in the in the culture, uh, right. in, you know, and and it, and and so it re- and so from that point of view, it really drives the industry. The industry relies on that in in a in a big way. Signet is a, is is you know a, a they they rely even more heavily on bridal. Their their percentage, uh, you know, I think their their bridal accounts for 40, 45% of their total revel- revenue. Whereas industry-wide, it's probably more in more along the 20, you know, 25% to to a third of of um of the industry's revenue. But um and so yeah, it, it's so it was kind of a fun thing to to listen to. You know when yeah. when 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 uh, Signet brought that up, and and actually I just I just went to a wedding of my niece who met who met her her now husband during COVID. You know they, I think they met in in line waiting to get vaccinated, and and then two or three years later they are they just got married, and that's what Signet's talking about. Um, in fact, it's a little earlier than what they're talking about because. Um, Signet is uh, the theory, and and their research is showing that people didn't weren't able to date during the pandemic. They were stuck at home, and then slowly, as they came out of the pandemic, they out of lockdown, they, you know, uh, young people or, or people in general started to date again and forge those relationships. And then only two or three years later, are they ready to? to make that commitment to get engaged and, and married. And and that's where we're at at the moment is that we're two or three years later in the cycle that um, that Signet can expect or is expecting a sort of a wedding, uh, you know, an engagement boom. Um, and that they expect will start in the fourth quarter because the fourth that holiday season is the perfect time and the busiest time for engagements. Um, and so, and so, who knows? You know, hopefully that will give the industry a a bit of a boost. Yeah, that would be great. And we refer to fourth quarter as as this year and into you know early twenty twenty four. I think is what we mean. Just right, for right. Yeah. This is harking back to Signet. I think I read that one of their variables in their uh, engagement forecasting was like couples going to a concert together was very important. <laughs> <No>. Really? <laughs> With my it's, it's, a, it's a good date night. It's a good date yeah, night. Good date night. <laughs> Depends on the concert. <laughs> so anyway, um, maybe we should switch a little bit to our most controversial topic, which is lab-grown diamonds. And, you know, I've been on some other online meetings with with the diamond industry and, and other analysts and you I think you as well um also and um 
you know, there's a lot of different opinions within jewelers in the U.S. and, and analysts on how this all will shake out. I kind of think, and just in my opinion, but, um, you know, they're having a, a moment right now. I think a lot of consumers, you know, when I talk to friends or when I look at Instagram, they're not entirely sure what lab-grown diamonds are or what they're purchasing. They just know that they're less expensive than natural diamonds and they're, you know, they're pretty. So I kind of think that, you know, with the natural diamond prices are declining, but lab-grown diamond prices are also declining, you know, obviously a lot as well. And um, I think we can curtail the supply on the natural side because it's a declining supply over the next decade anyway. But um, you know, I haven't heard of any lab-grown companies like taking a measure to like curtail lab-grown supply. So I would just think, from a from a basic economic perspective, demand supply that the the supply will become so big in lab-grown that their prices will continue to fall, and they'll eventually be seen as like a separate product from natural because of that decline. But you know, I, I'm not sure. How do you do? You see it panning out anyway, or? Yeah, I, I, I think I, you know, I think along the same lines, the lab-grown industry will argue that it's not as simple as switching a, you know, uh, switching a switch and then suddenly you've got more production. There's a lot more that goes into it, and and we've also seen a lot of the sort of wholesalers who who climbed on the bandwagon of lab-grown, you know, in the initial growth spurt two or three years ago that they they've got burnt and as prices have come down and they were left with a lot of inventory that they sort of just unloaded offloaded and got out um, because it was not a pro- not a profitable business for them retailers have have been able to take advantage of that and also the um, the, the the attractive margins that lab grown, do present um, at least for now, and so um, and so re- the, you know the retailers are making money out of out of lab grown, but they're making a, a, a lower. Well, uh, you know they, they t- it's it's a complicated thing, but you know on a like for like basis they're making a lower revenue, a, a lower top line out of out of lab out of lab grown. Interestingly, Signet actually, Signet, again, uh, you know, <laughs> returning to them, um, they've had a lot of success on, on the lab, grow, on lab growing, and they actually said because they're able to upsell the, um, the, the consumer with lab grown, offering them, uh, you know, the same, they come in with, the, with a budget, and so they fill that budget with the lab grown, give, offering them, a, you know, a larger stone or, or a, a better color clarity sort of stone on the lab grown. And so their average transaction price on lab grown was, was actually higher, um, which, is, which is kind of interesting. But yeah. But I, I, you know, I, I've kind of, I, I, you know, we've seen how how lab-grown prices have come down at a much faster rate than the decline that we've seen in in natural, and it's continuing. And I, I do think that as supply is, you don't have that rarity of um, that you have in natural diamonds that. The, that um, that value proposition is going to continue, and I think at some point um, soon, I think the the consumer will will come to realize that that uh, the you know we, we're in a we're in the growth phase of lab grown, and as the product matures, consumers who have been attra- have have been sort of wooed into the the lab grown purchase because of the attractive price point. Um, you know, when they come back and and realize that 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 the, that their their purchase did not hold value, I think that's when you're going to really see a segmentation, a bifurcation of the of that of the market away from from being a competing product to natural. But the reality at the moment is that it is taking market share from from natural diamonds, and crucially, it's go, it's taking market share of the bridal sector, uh, of the bridals in the bridal segment, and so that's something that the the industry you know needs to be concerned about, I think, and. 
it's you know it's really on the retail jewel it's on on how they're selling this product they um uh, you know i i uh, i'm an advocate for for natural diamonds so so maybe i'm a bit biased but but it's you know they really got to understand what they're selling and and the message that they you know believe in the believe in your product and sell highs you know as as my my former my former employee Martin Rappaport recently said you know it's like be proud of of the uh, the diamonds that you sell and and he's also and and I would echo his sentiment that retailers really need to disclose the um the 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 value proposition that uh, that LabGrown presents that they will likely lose value over time yeah it's tough. I mean, it depends on what price point. Well, I'm only talking for engagement rings. That somebody wants to go in, you know, and is entertaining a lab-grown diamond because I think if it's maybe, you know, I don't know, anywhere from like a thousand to three thousand, they can get, you know, a larger, clearer stone. But then when you move up in price to maybe if your budget is a five thousand, you know, do you really want to buy something at that price or higher that won't, you know, hold value? And so when I think of just investing in general, I think like, oh, maybe that's the price point that people would say, no, if I'm spending that, it really should hold some some value. But yeah, I guess we'll we'll see. I, well, I just, you know, it's also it's an it's an there's an emotional value as well. Yeah. And, and I, again, I've kind of drunk the Kool-Aid of the natural diamond market, but I, I, I do sincerely believe that the natural diamond has a, a um, more emotionally emotional story to tell and a more valuable story to tell than, than that lab-grown product. And I, yeah. think that, I think your potential bride, ultimately she uh, she that's what she's she's looking for that more interesting um story and emotional connection to the stone which reflects her relationship at the end of the day yeah yeah because it, it is a, an emotional it is an emotional purchase so interesting so um you know, De Beers has done a lot of interesting things lately in my opinion you know I'm not a diamond market insider, but that's not my background is what I'm saying. I, I come from, you know, Wall Street and the financial world. But given everything that's going on with the lab grown diamonds, I was surprised a little bit that it it kind of, in my own opinion, it has taken the natural diamond world too long or a little too long to kind of push back against, in a big way, you know, in a, against the lab grown diamond industry. And I think we, were, we started to see it with the Natural Diamond Council and they released a report maybe this summer or in June on it's a very good report on, you know, countering kind of um, the lab grown diamond industry and having some facts in there. And then recently we saw De Beers. So they have a division for our listeners called Lightbox and uh, that is their lab grown diamond division. And they had as an experiment started selling engagement rings, which I believe was, correct me if I'm wrong, like maybe a little bit controversial in the, the diamond uh, world. And then they suddenly withdrew, I guess it was just a test period. They recently withdrew. They're not selling engagement rings um, anymore that are lab grown. And so what can we, can we take anything away from this? I, I do believe that they did mention some prices specifically, but um, what did you think of, of this experiment kind of? Yeah, well, they called it a test period when they withdrew. I, I I was you know I think everyone was was surprised I, I was surprised at the that um, and they did it very subtly they just sort of the the product appeared on their on their website and that's uh, and 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 one of the trade journalists I think um sort of stumbled upon it and and said wow De Beers is selling engagement you know light a lab grown en- engagement and I was more surprised at that than their initial. You know their, their initial introduction. You know intro into lab growing in general. I think everyone sort of kind of felt that they were gonna go there at some point. Yeah. I, I, but but I think you know when when as the market has slowed, I think they've come to realize that they really need to double down on natural diamonds and and uh, and. Or, or risk losing the product. You know, the the initial forecast 
for lab grown was that it would be cheaper, uh, you know, a cheap, uh, sorry, well, a lower quality, smaller stones that would that that would be the the sort of focal point. Um, over the last two or three years, that it's that it's made inroads to the one carat, two carat market um, for bridal has been a big surprise for 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 everyone, and so. I don't know what De Beers was thinking. I, I, you know, I think that I, I think they need to need to answer to that question. Um, you know, they, uh, you know, initially maybe they thought that it was a, a business opportunity and 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 get into to where the where where the growth is. Um, but then I think they've you know come to realise that they that they that, that that they stand to lose the pro- lose the product. Their, their core product is the natural is natural diamonds, and and so they they you know they should never have gone there in the first place. Uh, and and it's interesting you know you mentioned the marketing and the natural diamond council. You know initially the natural diamond council was um, was more reactive to to uh, to lab grown. And their, their their first campaign was real was real is rare. And so that you know, it's it's like real is rare. Real is a diamond, and so they were saying, you know, it's natural diamonds that are real, and that's what's rare. And it's not, you know, the implication is that it's not lab grown. Um, and then there was sort of a rebranding of of their of the organisation and also of their their campaign. And their their thought process was to market. By promoting their the their own virtues virtues. Why do you need to be reactive to the to lab grown when you have you know rather display confidence in your own product? And I think I, I actually do think that that's that's the the way to the way to go. Again, they've kind of come back um, as lab grown as having its its real moment of growth to dispel various myths that lab, the lab grown industry is has been sort of riding the the you know riding the wave with, and that is necessary. You do need to you do need to dismiss you know dismiss those or or, or counter those um those uh, false claims that um, that unfortunately many of the Many of the lab-grown companies are um, are using in their advertising. You know the the the, the eco-friendly line, for example, and uh, you know the, there's a lot more depth to to that in certainly in the natural diamond industry. You know. Yeah, so interesting. So, um, you know, turning to back to the miners and. You know, we kind of we kind of have a feeling for because they they published it. We have published numbers from De Beers on seemingly what they for lab grown what they won't discount a carrot a diamond carrot below, which seems to be like eight hundred US dollars. Um, that seems to be their line in the sand um, according to their website. Yeah, uh, the price on their website. Um, I wonder for the natural diamond miners, is there a price or it probably depends on the mine that they would stop mining at if you know, diamond natural diamond prices drop too much, or would they just do what they're doing now? They would just kind of obviously not sell to India manufacturers and just pull back. Yeah, it's a, it's an important question because you know when the when the market is down, when 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 manufacturers don't want to buy rough, you know the the mining companies have two options: they can just not sell, or they can reduce their prices, and because there's, you know, everything sells at a certain price. If the, you know, if the rough is cheap enough, the, the, those manufacturers will will buy. But, uh, but, but, but the mining companies prefer to prefer to to not reduce prices. They prefer to to reduce sales volume. They they, you know, that's what happened in COVID. They stopped selling rather than reduce prices. And also in 2008, I think, as as far as I remember, and 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 you're right that uh, that there is there is a certain and it varies from from mine to mine that um, if rough prices go below a certain level, you know that that'll that'll affect the economic viability of uh, of a certain mine depending on you know what what type of goods that that mine produces. And so there are those consider those considerations, um, and 
and and and I think you know we 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 do you know see smaller mines that uh, that might go on care on care and maintenance during an economic downturn or, or during a slow mo a slow market and then you know not return there, there still are some some smaller mines that closed you know that that closed temporarily okay. in air quotes during covid that haven't come back to back to market um because it's not so easy to to re- restart a mine and uh, and so those they're looking at those rough prices and making those operational cons- you know decisions accordingly so interesting yeah yeah it must be tough i should also mention with de beers that you know they've brought back their famous advertising campaign probably one of the most famous advertising campaigns just in general not even like certainly the most famous in the diamond industry but just in general it's a famous advertising campaign a diamond is forever so do you think that that will well, why do you think they're doing this? Is this like a, a you know, this is like the hail mary pass of the fourth quarter of a football game, or yeah, it's, well, well, they, they it's let's call it a tagline, um, a diamond okay. is forever, you know, because they actually they brought it back, you know, I forget when it was, three or four years ago, um, and it's been their sort of tagline for their branding, um, De Beers, you know, for 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 context. Um, for decades, sort of financed the in, an industry-wide, let's say, category marketing campaign, a generic marketing for the diamond industry, and that a diamond is forever was kind of the the slogan for for that category marketing for for many years, and it was it is iconic. Um, you know, it's a legendary campaign, and and around. The, in the early 2000s, certainly um, towards 2008, De Beers shifted to branded marketing um, or, or branding. That they, 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 their thought process was that the world is is moving towards branding, to towards brands, and so they develop they they launched their own brand, the Forever Mark, and. You know, I forget when it was exactly, but let's say you know three to five years ago, they introduced the diamond is forever as their their forever you know in their De Beers marketing. Now, as the market has slowed, and and it's another sign that it's really in a in a sort of crisis mode, the De Beers has committed twenty million dollars to um its holiday to holiday marketing, and it's put out these sort of prom- this campaign and um, and using a diamond is forever and it does not have De Beers brand and branding on it. It's a it's a return to sort of De Beers financing a generic style uh, marketing campaign for the industry and retailers have access to those those promotional assets that they can use. That, that that can use that have been developed by by De Beers and you know it's a question I um you know it's a it's a slow mark, market and and the the industry is under pressure and so there's always this sort of call to to you know up the marketing game um I'm you know in hindsight and it's admittedly high, hindsight 2020 it would have been much more effective had there been a, a really strong push. Um, to uh, you know, from 2021, when the market was on was on fire, to maintain that that momentum, and yeah. uh, and so you know, again, I, I, you know, everyone's an expert in <laughs> in in hindsight. <laughs> you know, everyone's a strategic genius in hindsight, but but that's what's happening now. It's a, it's a um, it's a it's a it's a reaction to what's happening in the market that the industry, the natural diamond industry. Uh, needs this sort of collective marketing push, and De Beers is putting its money uh, where you know its money behind it. And then there's the Natural Diamond Council, which is funded by the industry, by primarily the miners, to market the to 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 do marketing on behalf of the industry. We're still sort of waiting to to hear what they have in store for um for the fourth quarter for the holiday season. They better hurry up because it's here. <laughs> it's coming, yeah. <laughs> but it was good to see the advertising campaign back. I'm talking about the De Beers one. And, um, you know, they put the the images on their website. They've also been floating around LinkedIn. 
they're like a black background with a, yes. you know, a beautiful stone, a beautiful ring. And um, I, I feel like the images are quite stunning. You definitely, when you're scrolling through, you definitely take, I definitely sat up and took notice of them. I think it's a really, you know, stunning. Yeah. And, 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 and they, they have a, t- uh, a, from what I understand, they have a team of um, of writers who are sort of tapping more a more lighthearted sort of campaign, uh, you know, campaign that that goes with those sharp in images. And the black and white is, and the the diamonds on black is is very is very effective. I think. Yeah, it is. I, they're great. So we'll turn to kind of a not so happy topic. I think is is I don't know if you have any. Um, ideas or on this on the 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 potential they're coming the g7 sanctions are, are coming for the diamond industry and that this has been talked about um for a while but it, as we all know it's, it's quite difficult i think to track and trace the origin of a diamond those are with the emergence of blockchain technology and maybe tracer from the beers you know this is getting traction in the ability to do this do you do you have any sense of how this will shake out? I keep reading news stories that this this announcement is imminent. It's coming in the next kind of couple of weeks. We're in early October now. Um, I'm not sure. Like, what will it impact supply, or is it just two bifurcated markets? Like, there will be a G7 diamond market and then a non G7 diamond market in which Al Rosa diamonds could go to. That yeah, market. it's. Um, <clears throat> I think that's why it's taking so long. Is that um, the the practicality of it is um, is so nuanced and so complicated. And and again, for for background, El Rosa, which is essentially a you know it's it's part owned by the by the Russian Federation. Is the biggest producer of 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 rough diamonds in the market um, by volume. And and so with the war in Ukraine, there is um, th- there are uh, there are sanctions that have been placed on diamonds from from Russia by the United States government. And 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 it's 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 you know those sanctions are it's they're they're unclear because they 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 kind of refer to diamonds directly imported from Russia, and so, but most diamonds from Russia go to India first to be processed to polished, and then they're exported to other markets and yeah, including the United States. And it's a substantial transformation. Clause. Right, right. So the question is, if those diamonds are allowed in the United States, it's kind of a loophole to the sanctions, and um, and there hasn't been a clear directive from from the state from the the State Department on on that. And there is kind of an assumption that they they are they, that they are making their way to the United States to to um, to get over that. That loophole, the the United States, along with the other G7 nations, are looking at um, additional measures to sanction Russian diamonds, which would include showing proof of origin that um, that the polished isn't sourced from a rush a, a rough diamond, um, which was mined in in um, in in Russia. But um, and and so, from what I understand, there are various proposals on the table including from industry including from the from the um, Belgian delegation Belgium being a very um, big rough trading center and I think it, it boils down to the practicality of it you know can um, it you know that does the um, you know as as you mentioned, there are various sort of service providers to the industry that provide traceability. There are different blockchain programs that 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 goods can be can be can be a part of. And whether at customs, there's a you know if whether at customs those those um, traceability programs and proof of origin um, programs would be sufficient for for customs to to allow through. And then there's the question: Is why is the industry involved in this at all? Surely it would be up to up to the 
governments or customs to control these things? Why is the industry taking on this extra burden of self-audit? And that's a big, um, that's a, that's a big sticking point at the moment in the, in the, within the trade. And I think, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have to, it shouldn't have to police itself to that to that level it should surely be up to the authorities of the of the land where whether you know whichever country it is to enforce their law and so then to your question if the if the market is going to be bifurcated in in that sense it's you know i, I we haven't seen it yet we we haven't seen it um even within the united states and um you know initially we thought that um with the with Ru- that russian goods would be off the market and so there would actually there would be a supply shortage the opposite has happened in the last in the last year we we as we mentioned earlier there's an excess of supply that's affecting affecting a downtrend a, a sharp downtrend in 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 diamond prices and and we know that those Russian goods are are coming are, are on the market. You know um, whether they're in the United States, where they technically might not be legal, or not is is a question I, I can't answer. Yeah, yeah. It just seems to me that because obviously India, we've discussed this already. You know, polishes and cuts eighty to ninety percent of the world's rough diamonds. That they're central to probably this tracing. You know, thing that the G seven is trying to implement i i imagine they're probably trying to you know make a deal with india somehow and those manufacturers to separate those russian stones and their production facilities or i would i would think that's how well they're well, it. well this I is where yeah the, the, this is where the united states can exert its strength in the market you know the you know it's it, it it, it's it's it, it accounts for 55 50 or 55 percent of global demand and so if the Americans aren't buying from the Indians and the uh, because the because the uh, you know your manufacturers aren't buy on separating your Russian right. goods from from non-russian then those manufacturers don't have a a big a big customer and so right. if if america requires this then the manufacturers will accommodate it and they certainly have the means to you know there mm-hmm. there are okay. those traceability programs there are those blockchain programs that can enable a a um a source verification you know throughout the pipeline it's not as complicated as it used to be um even mm-hmm. as the as diamonds change hands so many times there's still yeah is you know the, it is possible, and it's, it is being done. Power of the, <laughs> yeah. of the U.S. consumer. Absolutely. Interesting. So I think one thing we'll come around to the end here, but I just I wanted to mention that um, the De Beers 2023 um, Diamond Insight report was recently released, and they make the point in it in terms of supply, and this is probably something I think most people in the diamond industry can agree on that um, supply over the next decade is diminishing. And I believe that they said by 2030, um, in that report, they said that about 15% of production in 2022 standards was going to come off the market by 2030 because of, you know, those mines coming offline, those mines being depleted. And to me, that seemed like a sharp drop, 15% of the 2022 production market. I mean, diamonds are rare, right? So they're only going to get rarer right in the next decade. I, it seems to me by these statistics, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the mines are getting older. They, um, there, there isn't a, there aren't many new super mines that are, that are being developed. There's one in, um, in Angola that's, uh, that's, that has, um, has a, a high production that's con- that's this year coming on on stream the the Luashe mine, and Angola is is a very prospective area. It's kind of expected to be the next you know the, the where the next diamond rush is. But um, but you know when as you said in the next decade that um, we, we're not seeing major production coming on stream. But we've been talking about it for a long time, and and we we have we're still talking. We're now we're still experiencing a an an, an oversupply in the in the polish market. So I I think there will be enough diamonds to go around, certainly for consumers. But there is that um there is an attractive 
sort of uh, investment um, uh, thesis out there for mining companies, for the diamond miners, that that there is a uh, a, a long a potential long term shortfall in uh, in diamond production versus demand. Yeah, and of course we all the kind of you know consulting firms like. I've even seen a report by Goldman Sachs, but also Bain, you know, they, they talk about and they forecast for other purposes as well, like the rise of the higher end and middle class consumer in, in China and India over the next decade. So depending on their consumer preferences in terms of luxury goods and jewelry, you know, that could be a, a rising um, source of demand in addition to the relatively, hopefully stable demand in the United States. So, so many interesting things. Is there anything else I didn't ask you that you think we should talk about or i think we covered uh, we we covered a lot, a lot. <laughs> we, it's uh, it's such a it's a small uh, market and or a relatively small market and industry but it's so diverse and and broad in its scope and um, which is why i love it so much um so you know i think we we, we covered we covered the main topics I yeah think. We did. There's <laughs> such a fascinating um, industry i have a yeah. little bit of diamonds on today i just wanted to Tell everybody they're natural diamonds. Just a disclaimer: they are. <laughs> we, don't, we we don't judge. We... <laughs> I wrote them for you. Thank <laughs> you. You look. Out. They look great. <laughs> okay, so thank you so much for your time. You spent a lot of time with us, and we do really appreciate it. And where can we find you? Where can everybody find you? Just so. Sure. I um, my website is avikravitz.com. That's a v i k r a w i t z i t z dot com. <laughs> And I'm on Instagram. I just launched my my YouTube channel. I have my own podcast as well, all under that same name. Um, LinkedIn is a, a great platform for me as well. Avi Kravitz, you can search me on all of the above. Well, you're a fantastic resource. And so I, I know I'll be watching all those channels and I encourage our listeners to watch it too. Thank you Thank so much for today. Thank you, Amelia. Appreciate it. Enjoyed the discussion. Thank you. Materials presented are not intended to be a recommendation, solicitation, or offer to buy or sell any securities, financial instruments, investments, or to participate in any particular investment strategy. The content and opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a guarantee of future results, performance, or outcomes. Before acting on any information or content presented herein, you should consult with a qualified financial professional, tax advisor, or legal counsel to determine the suitability, risks, and potential rewards of any investment or financial strategy for your individual circumstances, financial situation, and risk tolerance.